Chapter Twenty Nine of the Drums of Jeopardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Drums of Jeopardy by Harold McGrath. Chapter Twenty Nine. Not unusually, when we burn our bridges, we have in the back of our minds the dim hope that there may be a shallow ford somewhere. Thus, bridges should not be burned impulsively. There may be no ford. The idea of retreat pushed forward in Kitty's mind the moment she awoke, but she pressed it back in shame. She had given her word, and she would stand by it. The night had been a series of wild impulses. She had not sent that telegram to Cuddy as the result of her deliberations in the country. Impulse. A flash, and the thing was done. Her bridges burned. To crush Johnny Two Hawks, fill his cup with chagrin, she had told him she was going to marry Cuddy. That was the milk in the coconut. Morning has a way of showing up night gold for what it is. Tinsel. Kitty saw the stage of last night's drama dismantled. If there was a shallow ford, she would never lower her pride to seek it. She had told Two Hawks, sent that wire to Cuddy, broke the news to Bernini. But did she really want to go back? Not to know her own mind, to swing back and forth like a pendulum. Was it because she feared that, having married Cuddy, she might actually fall in love with some other man later? She could still go through the mummery as Cuddy had planned, but what about all the sublime generosity of the preceding night? A queer feeling pervaded her. She was a marionette, a human mannequin, and some invisible hand was pulling the wires that made her do all these absurd things. Her own mind no longer controlled her actions. The persistence of that waltz, it had haunted her, broken into her dreams, awakened her out of them. Why should she be afraid? What was there to be afraid of in a reoccurring melody? She had heard a dozen famed violinists play it. It had never before affected her beyond a flash of emotionalism. Perhaps it was the romantic misfortune of the man, the mystery surrounding him, the menace which walled him in. Breakfast. Human mannequins had appetites so she made her breakfast. Before leaving the kitchen, she stopped at the window. The sun filled the court with brilliant light, the patches of rust on the fire-escape ladder, which was on the Gregor's side of the platform, had the semblance of powdered gold. Half an hour later, she was speeding downtown to the office. All through the day she walked, worked, talked, as one in a state of trance. There were periods of stupefaction, which at length roused Burlingame's curiosity. Kitty, what's the matter with you? You look dazed about something. How do you clean a pipe? she countered, irrelevantly. Clean a pipe, he repeated, nearly overbalancing his chair. Yes, you see, I may make up my mind to marry a man who smokes a pipe, said Kitty, desperately, eager to steer Burlingame into another channel and certainly I ought to know how to clean one. Kitty, I'm an old-timer. 
You can't sidetrack me like this. Something has happened. You say you had a great time in the country, and you come in as pale as the moon, like someone suffering from shell-shock. Ever since Cuddy came in here that day, you've been acting oddly. You may not know it, but Cuddy asked me to send you out of town. You've been in some kind of danger. What's the yarn? So big that no newspaper will ever publish it, Burley. If Cuddy wants to tell you some day, he can. I haven't the right to. Did he drag you into it, or did you fall into it? I walked into it, as presently I shall walk out of it, all on my own. Better keep your eyes open. Cuddy's a storm petrel. When he flies, there's rough weather. What do you know about him? Probably what he's already told you, that he is a foreign agent of the government. What do you know? Everything but one thing, and that's a problem particularly my own. Alien stuff, I suppose. Cutty's strong on that. Well, mind your step. The boys are bringing in queer scraps about something big going to happen May Day. No facts, just rumors. Better shoot for home the shortest route each night and stick around there. There are certain spiritual exhilarants that nullify caution, warning the presence of danger. The boy with his first pay envelope. The lover who has just been accepted. The debutante on the way to her first ball. The impetus that urges us to rush in where angels fear to tread. At a quarter after five, Kitty left the office for home, unaware that the attribute designated as caution had evaporated from her system. She proceeded toward the subway mechanically, the result of habit. Casually, she noticed two taxicabs standing near the subway entrance. That she noted them at all was due to the fact that the subway entrances are not fortuitous hunting grounds for taxicabs. Only the unusual would have attracted her in her present condition of mind. It takes time and patience to weave a good web, observe any spider, time in finding a suitable place for it, patience in the spinning. All that worried Karlov was the possibility of her not observing him. If he could place his taxicabs where they would attract her, even casually, the main difficulty would be out of the way. The moment she turned her head toward the cabs, he would step out into plain view. The girl was susceptible and adventuresome. Kitty saw a man step out of the foremost taxicab, give some instructions to the chauffeur, and get back into the cab, immediately to be driven off at moderate speed. She recognized the man at once. Never would she forget that squat, gorilla-like body. Karlov. Yonder, in that cab. She ran to the remaining cab, wherein she differed from angels. Are you free? Yes, miss. See that taxi going across town? Follow it, and I will give you ten extra fare. You're on, miss. Karloff peered through the rear window of his cab. If she had in tow a federal agent, the maneuver would fail, at a great risk to himself, but he would soon be able to tell whether or not she was being followed. As a matter of fact, she was not. She had returned to New York a day before she was expected. 
her unknown downtown guardian would not turn up for duty until ordered by Cuddy to do so. She entered the second cab with no definite plan in her head. Karloff, the man who wanted to kill Johnny Two Hawks, the man who held Stefani Gregor a prisoner. For the present, those facts were sufficient. Don't get too near, said Kitty, through the speaking tube. Just keep the cab in sight. A perfectly logical compensation. She herself had set in motion the machinery of this amazing adventure. It was logically right that she would end it. Poor dear old Cuddy! To fancy he could pull the wool over Kitty Conover's eyes. Cuddy, the most honest man alive, had set his foot upon an unethical bypath and now found himself among nettles. To keep Johnny Two Hawks prisoner in that lofty apartment while he hunted for the drums of jeopardy. Hadn't he said he had seen the emeralds he would steal with half a chance? Cuddy, playing at this sort of game, his conscience biting whichever way he turned. He had been hunting unsuccessfully for the stones that night he had come in with his face and hands bloody. Why hadn't he kissed her? Johnny Two Hawks. Bourgeois? Utter nonsense. Of course, it did not matter now what he was. He had dug a bridgeless chasm with that smile. Sometime tomorrow he and Stefani Gregor would be on their way to Montana, and that would be the last of them both. Tomorrow would mark the fork in the road, but life would never again be humdrum for Kitty Conover. The taxicabs were bumping over cobbles through empty streets. It was six by now. At that hour, this locality, which she recognized as the warehouse district, was always dead. The deserted streets, however, set in motion a slight perturbation. Supposing Karlov grew suspicious and turned aside from his objective. Even as this disturbing thought took form, Karlov's taxicab stopped. Kitty's stopped also, but without instructions from her. She had intended to drive on, and from the rear window observe if Karlov entered that old red-brick house. Go on, she called through the tube. The chauffeur obeyed, but he stopped again directly behind Karlov's taxicab. He slid off his seat and opened the door. His face was grim. Tumpity-tump-tump, tumpity-tump-tump. She did not hear the toxin this time. She felt it on her spine, the drums of fear. If they touched her. Come with me, miss. If you're sensible, you will not be harmed. If you cut up a racket, I'll have to carry you. What does this mean? faltered Kitty. That we have finally got you, miss. You can see for yourself there isn't any help in sight. Better take it sensibly. We don't intend to hurt you. It's someone else we want. There's a heavy score against you, but we'll overlook it if you act sensibly. You were very clever last night, but the game depends on the last trick. I'll go sensibly, Kitty agreed. They must not touch her. Karlov did not speak as he opened the door of the house for her. His expression was Buddha-like. This way, miss, said the chauffeur amiably. You are an American? Whenever it pays. Presently Kitty found herself in the attic, alone. They hadn't touched her. So much was gained. Poor little fool that she was. 
It was fairly dark now, but overhead she could see the dim outlines of the scuttle or trap. The attic was empty except for a few pieces of lumber and some soap boxes. She determined to investigate the trap at once before they came again. She placed two soap boxes on end and laid a plank across. After testing its stability, she mounted. She could reach the trap easily, with plenty of leverage to spare. She was confident that she could draw herself up to the roof. She sought for the hooks and liberated them, then placed her palms against the trap and heaved. Not even a creak answered her. She pressed upward again and again. The trap was immovable. Lights. She turned to behold Karloff in the doorway, a candlestick in his hand. The scuttle is covered with cement, Miss Conover. Nobody can get in or out. Kitty got down, her knees uncertain. If he touched her. Oh, the fool she had been. What are you going to do with me, she asked through dry lips. You are to me a bill of exchange, payable in something more precious to me than gold. I am going to keep you here until you are ransomed. The ransom is the man you have been shielding. If he isn't here by midnight, you vanish. Oh, we shan't harm you. Merely you will disappear until my affairs in America are terminated. You are clever and resourceful for so young a woman. You will understand we are not going to turn aside. You are not a woman to me. You are a valuable pawn. You are something to bargain for. I understand, said Kitty, her heart trying to burst through. It seemed impossible that Karloff should not hear the thunder to placate him, to answer his questions, to keep him from growing angry. I thought you would. Karloff set the candle on Kitty's impromptu stepladder. We saw your interest in the affair and attacked you on that side. You had seen me once. Being a newspaper writer, the New York kind, you would not rest until you learned who I was. You would not forget me. You were too well guarded uptown. You've been out of the city for a week. We could not find where. You were reported seen entering your office this morning. And here you are. My one fear was that you might not see me. Personally, you will have no cause to worry. No hand shall touch you. Thank you for that. Don't misunderstand. There is no sentiment behind this promise. I imagine your protector will sacrifice much for your sake. Simply, it is unnecessary to offer you any violence. Do you know who the man is your protector is shielding? Kitty shook her head. Has he played the fiddle for you? Yes. Karloff smiled. Did you dance? Dance? I don't understand. No matter. He can play the fiddle nearly as well as his master. The two of them have gone across the world, fiddling the souls of women out of their bodies. Kitty sat down weakly on the plank. Terror from all points. Karlov's unexcited tones, his lack of dramatic gesture, convinced her that this was deadly business. Terror that for all the promise of immunity they might lay hands on her. Terror for Johnny Two Hawks. 
for Cuddy. Has he injured you? she asked, to gain time. He is an error in chronology. He represents an idea which no longer exists. He spoke English fluently, but with a rumbling accent. But to kill him for that? Kill him? My dear young lady, I merely want him to fiddle for me, said Karlov with another smile. You tried to kill him, insisted Kitty, the dryness beginning to leave her throat. Bungling agents. Do you know what became of them, the two who invaded your bedroom? They were taken away by the police. So I thought. What became of the wallet? I found it hidden on the back of my stove. I never thought to look there, said Karloff musingly. Who has the drums? The emeralds? You haven't them, cried Kitty, becoming her mother's daughter, though her heart never beat so thunderously as now. We thought you had them. Karloff stared at her moodily. What is that button for at the side of your bed? Kitty comprehended the working of the mind that formulated this question. If she answered truthfully, he would accept her statements. It rings an alarm in the basement. Karloff nodded. You are truthful and sensible. I haven't the emeralds. Perhaps one of your men betrayed you. I have thought of that. But if he had betrayed me, the drums would have been discovered by the police. Damn them to hell. Kitty wondered whether he meant the police or the emeralds. Later, food and a blanket will be brought to you. If your ransom does not appear by midnight, you will be taken away. If you struggle, we may have to handle you roughly. That is as you please. Karlov went out, locking the door. Oh, the blind little fool she had been! All those constant warnings, and she had not heeded. Cuddy had warned her repeatedly, so had Bernini, and she had deliberately walked into this trap, as if this cold, murderous madman would risk showing himself without some grim and terrible purpose. She had written either Cuddy's or Johnny Two Hawk's death warrant. She covered her eyes. It was horrible. Perhaps not Cuddy, but assuredly Two Hawk's. His life for her liberty. And he will come, she whispered. She knew it. How was not to be analyzed. She just knew that he would come. What if he had smiled like that? The European point of view and her own monumental folly. He would come quietly, without protest, and give himself up. God, forgive me. What can I do? What can I do? She slid to the floor and rocked her body her fault. He would come, even as Cuddy would have come had he been the man demanded, and Karlov would kill him, because he was an error in chronology. She sensed also that the anarchist would not look upon his act as murder. He would be removing an obstacle from the path of his sick dreams. Comparisons. She saw how much alike the two were. Cuddy was only Johnny Two Hawks at fifty-two, fearless and whimsical. Had Cuddy gone through life without looking at some woman, as last night 
Johnny Two Hawks had looked at her. All the rest of her life she would see Two Hawks' eyes. Abysmal fool to pit her wits against such men as Karloff. Because she had been successful to a certain extent, she had overrated her cleverness with this tragic result. He had fiddled the soul out of her. But death! She sprang up. It was maddening to sit still, to feel the approach of the tragedy without being able to prevent it. She investigated the windows. No hope in this direction. It was rapidly growing dark outside. What time was it? The door opened. A man she had not seen before came in with a blanket, a pitcher of water, and some graham crackers. His fingers were stained a brilliant yellow, and a peculiar odor emanated from his clothes. He did not speak to her, but set the articles on the floor and departed. Kitty did not stir. An hour passed. She sat as one in a trance. The tallow dip was sinking. By and by she became conscious of a faint sound, a tapping. Whence it came she could not tell. She moved about cautiously, endeavoring to locate it. When she finally did, the blood drummed in her ears. The trap! Someone was trying to get in through the trap. Cutty, thus soon, who else could it be? She hunted for a piece of lumber light enough to raise to the trap. She tapped three times and waited. Silence. She repeated the signal. This time it was answered. Cutty! In a little while she would be free and Two Hawks would not have to pay for her folly with his life. Terror and remorse departed forthwith. She took the plank to the door and pushed one end under the door knob. Then she piled the other planks against the butt. The moment she heard steps on the stairs she would stand on the planks. It would be difficult to open that door. She sat down on the planks to wait. From time to time she built up the falling tallow. Cuddy must have light. The tapping on the trap went on. They were breaking away the cement. Perhaps an hour passed. At least it seemed a very long time. Steps on the stairs. She stood up, facing the door, the roots of her hair tingling. She heard the key turn in the lock, and then, as in a nightmare, she felt the planks under her feet stir slightly, but with sinister persistence. Presently she saw the toe of a boot insert itself between the door and the jam. The pressure increased. The space between the door and the jam widened. Suddenly the boot vanished and the door closed. The plank fell. Immediately thereafter Karloff stood inside the room, scowling suspiciously. End of chapter 29